Bandwidth for all shows on the Aussie Tech Heads network is supplied by Aussie Tech Heads Web Hosting. For a fast, affordable and reliable Australian server with fantastic support, contact Aussie Tech Heads Web Hosting at aussietechheads.com.au. Aussie Tech Heads, Australia's best hosting service. Everyone, it's episode 366 Aussie Tech Ads. How are you? Don't forget athwebhosting.com.au in there, just like that. First off the ranks. Yes, if you need a web hosting for your blog or your business website, sick of who you're with at the moment, athwebhosting.com.au. Come on over, give me a call. All right, so welcome to Aussie Tech Ads. This is what is today, the 7th of November 2013. Oh, it's uh, the uh, 50th anniversary of Doctor Who is coming up closer and closer, Woo. and uh, I'm going to see it at the cinema. I don't know about everyone else. Jace, Jace is here. Is Jace going to see it at the cinema? Hello, Jace. I would like to. Yeah, I'll have to see if I'm going to go 3D or not, though. It would be very tempting. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, the one I'm doing is 3D, so that's going to be good. But 25 bucks. Yep. So uh, I don't know. But anyway, I've already bought the ticket. I'm, I'm in. So that I'm... means uh, today is 7-Eleven. It is 7-Eleven. <laughs> that's right. And don't forget, you can get your free Slurpee this week. If 7-Eleven shops never close, why do they have locks on their doors? I don't know. Mystery. Mystery. That is one of life's mysteries. They're not shops, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know, but it would have made a good joke. Now, how's uh, Shane going? How you doing, Shane? I'm good. Yeah, good. yeah, much better this week. The the jet lag's out the way, and I'm back in the swing of things, so everything's, yeah, everything's good. You're, you're in there at the beach. Yes, you're in the, you're, you're not working, you're the beach bum, and uh, yes, yeah, sitting at the beach having fun, watching the, the hang gliders not go very far, because there's not much wind. By the look of them. All right. Looks like yeah. kite surfers. <laughs> well, there they go. <laughs> they just changed. All right, Shane's got a uh, the beach webcam as his background tonight, and the picture changes every, what, five minutes or so. So uh, let's uh, let's keep an eye out in the background. Might see something. Uh, ooh la la. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's the show. Welcome. Uh, what else have we got uh, to, to do at the top of the show? What about the radio, eh? Aussie Tech Radio. Dot com. Go and have a listen to that. 24-7 uh, tech shows in a Shoutcast stream. Round and around they go. And it's all for you. And you can tune in. Shoutcast app. Search for Aussie Tech Ads. Grab the app. Grab the shows. Come in whenever you like. Whatever's on is on. And you get to listen to it. You might find something new that you haven't heard for before. So let's uh, giddy up. All right. So let's start off with an email. We've got an email through the week. Uh, Shane was in America not too long ago. And he's, he's, he's returned. And uh, we've got an email about... Uh, from Stuart, love the show, have been listening since episode one. That is a mighty effort, Stuart. That is a mighty, mighty effort. Poor bastard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure is. In fact, we were only saying this last week, I think, uh, just after the show, actually. It didn't dawn on us while we were recording, but episode 365, that is one show a day for a year. Yeah. Yeah. So you can listen to Champion. one. Champion. Maybe that's how he did it. Maybe. We're going to release the, um, the, backlog, the back catalogue. I think it's all, it is all still up on the internet, if, if you can be bothered. It is all still up there. The feed doesn't go back that far, but the shows are up on archive.org, if anyone's interested. And you can hear episode one back in those, those heady days, you know, of uh, 2006. Yeah, those were the days when the, I used to have a beer through the show back then, but uh, not anymore. Got more serious. Uh, back to uh, Stuart's email. Sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> back to his email. More professional. Yeah, it would be good to hear from Mark again uh, on an upcoming episode. Yes, yeah, so yes, so it would be. So we might see if we can get Mark. Uh, maybe he works Thursday night, so it's, uh, it's sometimes a bit hard. But sometimes he does pop out into the laneway and uh, rings us up. So let's see if we can do that one week uh, just for you, Stuart. Our last episode, Shane, talked about the US holiday. I was there with family, uh, too, around the same time. We also went to Disneyland. Uh, he could have wa- walked past... Shane without knowing, yeah, probably. Uh, for our trip, I purchased US SIM cards. That's right. We were talking about, Shane was talking about how hard it was to get a SIM card for a prepaid phone when he hit the shores of the USA. Uh, he, uh, so Stuart 
bought his SIM cards before he left Australia. He bought them from a site called mobipassport.com.au. M-O-B-I passport.com.au for $20 each. So, yeah, thanks, Stuart, for that uh, bit of info. Uh, He also got prepaid plan AT&T before the holiday. He chose a $60 plan that included unlimited calls within the US and two gigs of data per month. That's all right. For an extra five bucks, he also got 250 minutes of calls back to Australia. Yeah, so it looks like uh, mobipassport.com.au if anyone's out there travelling overseas. Go and get on them a couple of weeks probably before you go so you can, you know, have time for them to come in the post. But, uh, yeah, so that's a good shame. You'll be doing that next time, I guess. Yeah, next time we'll be, yeah. The only reason why I didn't do that this time or anything like that is because everyone I spoke to gave me the impression that it'd be a lot easier to get it all sorted once I get over there. Just, you know, buy a a throwaway SIM card, a prepaid SIM card, and away you go. Mm. But... Like I was saying last week, it was just so hard to find somewhere that was convenient for me to, um, to yeah, you know, to to get one. It's hard to get good help these days, I tell you, fair income. Yeah, uh, true. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, Stuart goes on. He says he also a tech-related purchase in the US. He bought a smebble, a, a smebble. A smebble punch. <laughs> I like those smebble punches. They're awesome. They're not too bad, are I'll they? Get yeah. one. Yeah, I want one too. I can't wait. A Pebble smartwatch. So. Uh, yeah, and he's uh, pretty happy with it. I, I emailed him back and said, do you use it? Because I thought, oh, you know, once the novelty wears off, like, why would you, do you still use it? And yes, he does. He uses it, and particularly because it will uh, it tells him on the watch if the if his iPhone or whatever's ringing. And it also comes up with a number. So he said he found it useful for looking at the number, just glancing down at his watch without getting the phone out. And if he didn't want to answer it, he didn't answer it. Didn't have to get his phone out of his pocket. You know that asshole. I hate that asshole. And yeah, so cool. Now, Jace, I think you had a, something to say about pebbles, not the uh, Flintstones. Yeah, I think you mentioned but, something in mm. the um, email as well. Pebble smartwatches gained new capabilities on Wednesday thanks to a second version of the Pebble software development kit, a new iOS app that improves uh, iOS notifications. They've always been able to display caller IDs, SMS messages, and email notifications from an iPhone linked via Bluetooth, but now they can. They are fully integrated with the iOS 7 notification center so that any notifications you enable on your iOS device will appear on your wrist. Nice. That means the Pebbles, Pebbles notifications now display works with iOS devices just as well as the Android. And uh, another improvement is for the first time it enables Bluetooth low energy support, which is in the uh, iPhone. It's, it's been in the hardware all the time, but it's not been used or enabled. So major firmware updates and other data heavy functions can still be sent over classic Bluetooth, but notifications will be pushed via LE, which should uh, conserve the battery. Uh, when the update comes down for the new version of the Pebble um, operating system, you're going to have to uh, get new copies of your apps as well because the old apps won't run because there's so much changed on it. Oh, okay. Well, that's no good. But yeah, but Pebbles are, yes, I don't know. I think the, the watches might be uh, growing on me. I don't know, but they might. They might. I'll wait till the Apple one comes out. Have a look at it. Uh, yeah, and Google, and that's right. Yes, and Google, that's right. Everyone else, and Microsoft uh, apparently. Oh dear, <laughs> will it will it will it work with uh, Windows, or oh, or will they bring out a new operating system? Who knows? Uh, the but and so Stuart to finish off, uh, Stuart, the best tech-related tourist attraction that he visited while in the US was a space shuttle Endeavour. Uh, which is housed in the California Science Museum. It was spectacular. So that's good. So if anyone's going over there, put that on your uh, I itinerary. I wanted to see that. <laughs> it was, um, I think I said to you earlier this afternoon, the plan was for me to actually go and see that. We were going to, I was going to tap my eldest and the youngest and Maria were going to go to the zoo. But we were staying in North Hollywood and no one could categorically tell us where it was, how to get there, um, whether it was you know a taxi fare that was going to cost two hundred dollars, or whether you could get there through the um, the subway system or what. So we poo pooed the idea, and I went to the Staples Center instead, and mm. the rest of them just stayed back at the hotel. That was our last day that we were actually there. Um, yeah, okay. But yeah, so the plan is when we go back, if we go if, if we go back, um, and we go to the East Coast, is to go and see the one that's. Um, in Orlando or somewhere in Florida. I think there's another one at the um, Kennedy Space Center. Oh, yeah, Center. nice. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. That's, that's something that would interest me as well. So I'd, uh, next time I go over, <laughs> next time I go over, I'll go Email me your photos, Stuart. 
there you go. Uh, Shane with a Y at AussieTechheads.com.au. Now, also live every Thursday night, uh, we do record the show at 7.30 Queensland time. And if you want to know what time that is where you are, just go to the webpage, AussieTechheads.com.au forward slash podcast. And you will find the times wherever you are, including a UTC time. See, if I've converted it correctly. So good. That's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so, yes, I had something else to say then, but I completely forgot. Yep, just live. Tune in, tune in live, aussietechheads.com.au forward slash live. And before the show, Tech Webcast. We replay Tech Webcast from the previous Saturday, and that comes from around 7pm. Depends on how long their show goes. Might be earlier. All right. Study shows playing video games really can make your brain bigger. That's all right. Are we doing that now, are we? Yeah, why? Oh, okay. your, your little thing. Oh, right. Sorry. Oh, well, we'll do this. Oh, no. What are you doing? I know. I wasn't wasn't trying to stuff you around. I just mixed the format up, you know. Making sure sure they're on, you know, they got the finger on the the pulse there. But anyway, let's do this because I put the graphic up, so I can't, you know, can't not do it. Yeah, go on. Uh, Study shows that playing video games really can make your brain bigger. So that's cool. Playing Super Mario 64, of all things, for 30 minutes a day over two months, 30 minutes a day. That's not long. Over two months increased adult volunteers' brain volume in their right, here we go, in their right hippocampus, the right prefrontal cortex, and the cerebellum. These regions in the brain are responsible for memory formation, strategic planning, muscle control, and spatial navigation. So researchers found a significant grey matter increase among the gamers and theorised that playing video games could be useful to treat brain disorders. So there you go. Anyone that tells you to stop playing games, you tell them it's doing you good. All right. And that and that grant for that research was courtesy of Nintendo, was it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a communal one. Nintendo, Sony, Xbox, you know, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah no, yeah. So that's uh, but that's always been sort of thought. I thought you know, like uh, especially for reflexes. You know, it's always thought that games helped kids and that grow uh, with reflexes. You know, get get them faster and stuff because you got to, you know, whatever you do, shoot and stuff. Uh, but now, and now they uh, socialise with the games as well. It's not just a single player thing where you're alienated socially and that sort of thing. You know, my daughter plays uh, Minecraft and she's always in uh, Skype with a few of her friends around her age and talking. So, um, yeah, it's not just a single thing. It's all uh, social now. Mm. Yeah. That is exactly right. All right, now I'm just interested to know why you didn't pop up on the screen then, uh, Jace. But let's see, we'll have to. <laughs> we'll go to Shane. Yeah, I had to hold me burping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why you're not popping up. I'll have a look at that. Well, Shane, Shane's he's hankering to do his uh, this this week in tech history. <laughs> so <laughs> hanker away, Shane. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. We're on the techie ones. November 1st, 1963, the largest radio telescope ever constructed, the Arecibo Observatory, opened in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. I should have read that before I picked that one. Um, <laughs> it would be used as many major discoveries, including the first direct imaging of an asteroid. Uh, moving on. Uh, any other techie ones? On November 3rd, 1973, NASA launched a Mariner 10 towards Mercury. It would become the first space probe to reach the planet. Nice. Uh, also on November 3rd, 1992, Tim Berners-Lee posted a page describing the World Wide Web. It's the older pa- oldest page still served on the web, um, mm. but they didn't provide a link. Um, this is courtesy of Tom Merritt and his chronology of tech, if anyone's interested. I suppose you could, uh, Google, you could Google the oldest page on the net. Couldn't you? That'd, that'd tell yeah, you. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, if you're interested. Yeah, I guess you could. Mm-hmm. Uh, any more any more techie ones further down? Uh, North Carolina. Student, oh, yeah, here we go. University of North Carolina student radio station WXYC began what is considered to be the world's first internet radio broadcast. DJ Michael Schofner set it up. The simulcast continues as of 2012. And Ooh. that'll do. When did that st- sorry, when did that start? Uh, that was November 7, 1994. Oh, wow. That long ago. Wowzers. All right. Thanks, Shane. That's good. Now, you had a little space story in there. And look, and look I've got another one just to, just to go on with that theme. How's that? Lady Gaga, we all know who she is, will be performing in space. 
blasting off into outer space. Can you believe it? In 2015, on a Virgin Galactic ship. Can you believe this? And now, <laughs> oh, so it's not actually just a recording of her. She's actually going up. She's up there, baby. Her unearthly jam session will reportedly coincide with the Zero G Colony Tech Festival in New Mexico, and she will be the become the first celebrity musician to sing in space. Now, last year, astronaut Chris Hadfield. I've got that little little bit of Chris. Here we go. We'll wait till he gets going and we'll have a listen to him. Last year, Chris, astronaut Chris Hadfield recorded a song aboard the International Space Station. He also made the first intergalactic music video when he covered David Bowie's Space Oddity in a Zero Gravity video. So this Zero Gravity is pretty serious. They haven't got their feet on the ground, have they? So here we go. Well, let's, let's tune into a bit of the, his uh, song done in the International Space Station. Oh, is that too loud? We'll try and get to a, a chorus, eh? Hang on. Oh, that's nice. Are you having fun on audio? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the instrumental so break. About, uh, Katy Perry singing in space, as we know in space nobody can hear you, so... That's right. But anyway, you get the idea. Yeah, Lady Gaga. Not Katie. You got Katy Perry on the brain today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got a Katy Perry story later on. We both do, but you deleted yours. But you can still say yeah. it. <laughs> all right. So yeah, I had a, I had a different one, but it wasn't tech related. They're all the same person, aren't they? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So anyway, so that's it. Lady Gaga. She's off into the space. So good luck to her. All right, uh, Warlock. Stories, please. Where where you want to take us? Stories. Google Google is say screw you to the NSA and encrypts their internal network. After it was uh, revealed from uh, Edward Snowden that uh, the NSA were intercepting Google's uh, data, which was unencrypted on their side of the network, where nobody could hack into it anyway, uh, they decided that they're going to encrypt their internal network, effectively halting the broad surveillance of its inner workings by the joint NSA-GCHQ program known as Muscular. The move turns off a joint source of information to the two agencies, which one point accounted for nearly a third of the NSA's daily data intake for its primary intelligence analysis database, at least for now. Wow. Uh, the Washington Post shared additional slides produced by the NSA on the muscular program, which tapped into the fiber optic networks carrying traffic to and from Google's and Yahoo's overseas data centers. The slides indicate the data from the networks frequently reached daily intelligence briefing provided to President Barack Obama. They cited this joint operation with GC, GHCQ as the 15th largest source of intelligence data for those briefings. Slides also revealed the NSA obtained an intimate understanding of the internal operations of these networks, which suggested either launch a significant reverse engineering operation to pry apart Google's and Yahoo's secrets or obtain this information from people who work for the two companies. So mm. now all the data is encrypted and the NSA is lost. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I suppose that's just the easy answer, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> just encrypt your stuff and and to hell with everyone. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so what sort of uh, like data is it? Like just just general data that I suppose they anything just want to snoop. from Google and anything from Yahoo. They yeah. had uh, special uh, programs that were written to be able to read Gmail and Yahoo Mail. Right. It uh, had hooks hooks into G plus and Yahoo profiles and everywhere that they could get information from. Yeah, right. Yeah, you sort of I don't know. You sort of don't know if it's the if it's right or wrong. I suppose you know because like on one side of the fence, well, it's probably trying and helping to keep everyone safe, and then on the other side of the fence, well, you don't want people just snooping around in your you know in your private day to day chats and stuff yeah i don't right. want anyone looking around in my privates thank you very much no no but uh talking about that apple reveals that the australian government uh also receives requests for for user data at least they receive the request nsa just take you know they don't even request but according to apple the australian government has made 20 uh 74 requests relating to information on 75 accounts over the first half of 2013 till the end of June. Now, responding to an account request usually involves information about an account holder's iTunes or iCloud account, such as the name and address of, of the, the holder. We want to know what kind of music terrorists listen to. <laughs> is in, that Lady Gaga in space or is it Katy Perry? 
We demand to know. We need to know these things. In very rare cases, uh, we are asked to provide stored photos or email. Mm. Uh, but we consider these requests very carefully and only provide account content in extremely limited circumstances. Let me tell you that if the government requests something, they're going to get it. <laughs> so I don't know where they yeah. where they pretty much get you off. You know with... what kind of personal photos they want to be looking at? <laughs> a Julia. Now we consider that these. Requ- I find that the the amusing line in that Apple's statement was we consider these requests very carefully and only provide account content in extremely limited circumstances. Well, that I reckon that's that's all BS. You know, like if the government yeah. requests Apple, it, they get Apple it. and Google are now fighting through the courts to be able to release exactly how many of what kind of requests they've been asked from the government because at the mm. moment they're allowed to say, well, we received somewhere between zero and 10,000 requests in the last 12 months. Mm. And the types of requests we received between zero and 8,000 regarding photos zero and five thousand between and they just have to be as vague as possible because they're not allowed to give exact numbers or they'll be sued Mm. well i know the commonwealth bank like uh going down a similar sort of path i I guess the commonwealth bank writes to you if centrelink is looking into your accounts well they don't say obviously they wouldn't know why but they will write give you a send you a letter and say uh we've received we've received requests for information of your accounts from centrelink so good on them yeah, I know. So if you're doing something wrong, well, you've been tipped off. So stop it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, okay. So, but you know, no. When you read the terms and conditions of of anything, you know, if it if it's a credit card, if it's a a bank account, if it's the 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 video shop, or even if it's uh even like on the on our web hosting, athwebhosting.com.au, even on there, terms and conditions there, you don't we can't give the information, and no one can give the information over uh, because of the privacy restrictions. But unless it's requested by law enforcement under certain uh, sections of legislation. And then you got to do it. You've got no choice. So anyway, so good on Apple for having a go to stop it anyway. Uh, Shane, you got a good story for us? Yes, boss. Um, I will do my Google one that followed on from my Google one from last week. Okay. Right. So Google has finally broken its silence when it comes to these floating barges. They've um, claimed responsibility. They're saying, yes, they're their barges. Um, but it's got nothing to do with, it's not a big party boat. It's got nothing to do with, um, you know, Google Glass necessarily, or it's not a big floating kind of equivalent Apple kind of shop. What they are saying is that it's early days and things may change, but they're looking at using these barges to um, allow people to play with new technology and learn about new technology and, and um that sort of thing, why you'd want to go to the trouble of going out on a floating barge and not just go to a regular kind of building for that sort of thing. I don't know, but I guess yes. if you Google and you've got a truckload of money, you can waste it on stupid things like barges. <laughs> it's like they, they don't want any intruders. It's like we've now we've got our moat. They've always wanted, <laughs> they've always wanted a moat, and now they've got one. It's probably cheaper than buying land in the middle of. You know, it probably is, it probably is. But I wonder, like, how did the how did this story get out? You know, or was there just someone just going, just looking at barges? You know, I wonder what's on that one. You know, then yeah, they've never seen them before. Yeah. There's one on each coast, so that's what got people going. Oh, okay. Some yeah. were saying that they can uh, use the power of the uh, up and down movement of the water to um, generate electricity, and I was wondering if they were going to be powered by Google Wave. Yes. yes. Uh, Blockbuster, yes. Sorry, well, did I cut someone off then? No? I just went boom, boom. Mm. Well, okay, well, um, uh, Blockbuster to close its last remaining stores in the US. Oh, I remember Blockbuster. I think we've still got them over here. Not too many, though. They're just about, they are just yeah, about. Yeah, they, years ago, they wanted to merge with that. Netflix wanted to merge with them and Blockbuster said, no, we're really big and no one's interested in streaming. <laughs> Go away, you stupid people. <laughs> oh, it did. Yeah. So Dish Network, which acquired Blockbuster in a bankruptcy action or auction. Oh, geez. In 2011, announced Wednesday that the chain will lose all but its 50 remaining stores in the US by January next year. So that's like a month, two months. Uh, the brand brand will instead move to a streaming only model. Netflix. Ding ding ding. 
<laughs> oh, oh, that thing those guys suggested we do like five years ago. Yeah, oh, we Let's remember do those that. <laughs> Blockbuster has uh, had. They had 9,000 retail stores worldwide at the, as of uh, the end of 2004, but struggled in the face of competition from the movie delivery service. It, uh, yeah, so we all know what's going on there, don't we? Just everyone gets yeah, movies. Who wants to go out in the rain to buy a scratch DVD these days? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like, why? Why? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> judgment and my jumping up and down. Bought Forrest Gump on DVD the other day. Bought it, but as in to own. Yes. To own, yeah, because you know what kids are like. I mean, they'll watch a movie over and mm. over again. And one of the things we yeah. went to see when we were over in America is there's a chain of um, restaurants called Bubba Gump um, and their seafood oh, yeah. restaurants. Yep. And that's apparently part of the movie. Yes. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, you want to do that because they're just saying uh, recently in tech news as well that uh, Disney Pixar has pulled a lot of their stuff out of the Apple streaming and Netflix and Amazon. Even if you've paid for the download of it and not streaming it, you've actually paid to download it to your computer and not the rental part yes. of it. Yep. They took it out so that you have to go and buy the actual DVDs as well now, so you've double paid for it. So a lot of people go, well, screw that, BitTorrent. Yep, that's what, and that's exactly what forces people to do these type of things. Like, why would you on, why on earth would you want to pay twice for something? You know what I mean? Like, Why would you pay twice? Why would you put it on and then sit through... 10 minutes of ads and then sit through warnings to stop you being a pirate. Yes, that's when right. You're not being a pirate because you just paid for the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, look, it's great. And if you did get a pirated copy, all that stuff's taken out anyway. So you don't see it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh, or, yeah. So isn't it like, you know, why um, locks were invented to keep the innocent people out? You know, so yeah. that's all it is. All right, now here's an interesting one. Oh, who, whose story was that? Chains. Jace, give us another one. Do you want to do another one? Okay. Uh, YouTube started rolling out its new commenting system based on Google+. In September, YouTube announced that it would soon roll out a new commenting system powered by Google+. After testing it on channel discussion tabs for a few weeks, it's now starting to roll out to all videos on the site. Given the size of YouTube, this rollout will start this week, but it'll take some time before it's fully effective. Until then, you may see both systems on the site, depending on which video you're watching. It's no secret that YouTube comments aren't exactly a hotbed for smart conversations. <laughs> <coughs> troll, <coughs> troll. So the company hopes this will change will increase the quality of comments by putting the emphasis on conversations and not on one-off comments. Mm. The idea here is to ensure that YouTube comments will become conversations that matter to you. Instead of organizing comments by chronology as they are now, first post, first post, YouTube will now rank them by relevancy, taking into account and who wrote a comment Plus ones, the number of replies and other signals to surface the best comments to bubble up to the mm. top. Hey, look, it probably is a bit of a worry, you know, because you, you put something, oh, maybe even uh, half, you know, half controversial up there and you, you get all the wags going crazy, you know. <laughs> Just, you know, I, yeah. I suppose an example would be, uh, oh, I don't know, if, uh, to think of an example, just off the top of my head, say maybe, you know, the how the, the at the Melbourne Cup the horse had to be put down because it broke its leg. Now that was controversial, yep. and you know, so say someone puts out a an image or a, a YouTube video of um uh, the RSPCA wanting to save the horses. Well, then all the the pro racing people, you know, they get on there and just trash it. So yeah, there's got to be yep. some sort of balance and some sort of way. And what which ends up leads to say the the companies or the producers of these videos they just ban the ban the comments, which is no good either because you still want to know what people think about it as well you know it's a good little tool yeah well that's the other thing for video creators the google plus commenting system includes better ways to moderate comments they can now block certain words auto approve comments from certain fans and still review comments before they're posted mm. well blocking certain words would be good <laughs> because don't they, they, they get a run for their money some of the words around the job noob noob <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, look, here's an interesting story. I don't know if you guys seen this one. Well, it's not actually a story. Well, I suppose it is in a way. But how would you be building a Formula One model car out of nothing but hard drive parts? Can you believe it? Well, I know. I know. Look, and now, if you're listening to us on the audio this week, you must go to the show notes, aussietechs.com.au forward slash podcast. Go to the show notes. Grab the link and have a look at the pictures of these F1 
cars made from hard drive parts because I'm, I'm going to flash through them on the video so the people on the video can have a look wow. at them. I yeah. see it, but I don't <laughs> believe it. Now, the WD, because that's uh, Western, Western, we've got another Western Digital story coming up. Maybe this is what the <laughs> drives are good for. If you bought a. <laughs> If you bought 250 drives for your Max, maybe you could make them into a car. The WF1 car looks like a real remote control car, and it's comprised of five spindle motors and two voice coil motors. Um, the front wheel hubs are from 10,000 RPM drive motors, uh, and the rear hubs are from the 7,200 7, RPM 40 motors. Well, there you go, isn't it good? The swooping body sides are the anti-discs from the red hard drives. The race car driver's head. We've got a picture of his head. There we go. The race car driver's head is a four-disc motor populated with disc spaces. The V12 engine hood scoops above the driver's head are the anti yeah, go and have a look at it. That's too, I can't even read it. The V12 engine hood scoops above the driver's head are the full anti-discs from the four discs drives that were trimmed to fit. Oh, just go and have a look at it. Um, it's just it's just The out. front of it looks dangerous. Yeah, I know. The front of it looks like, are they like, like drive spindles? Oh, not, the, not the spindle, the heads. Yeah. yeah. The suspension is made from WD Black 40 disc actuators. Brass tubes and torque screws. Everything is from, I think pretty much everything is from these hard drives. The center actuator looks like was something from a Stephen King horror novel. <laughs> it's gonna come and slice you up. Combine harvester or something. <laughs> yeah, Edward drive heads. The, the the rear diffuser is a stack of VCM magnets and steel from a Velus something drive. <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. So yeah, so look at that. That's just it's pretty awesome. And apparently it all. Yeah, apparently it all powers up, and the the little driver's head there spins around, and it all it's got LED lights flashing all over the show. Like R two D two. There it is. There, there little LEDs flashing <laughs> around the joint. Yeah, so that's just that's just awesome, isn't it? The the engine, the V twelve engine, is made from WD Scorpio actuators from smaller notebook hard drives. The transmission directly behind the motor is made of a stacks of uh, Scorpio VCM magnets, and the differential is a stack of spindle motor windings from many different motors. The body of the car, LED lights, as I said. The um, yeah, so yeah, go and have a look. There you go. This is what happens when geeks don't have lives. That's right. Or jobs. But how's that, eh? How's that? That's awesome. But uh, what's nice. what is? Look, let's go back to the first. We'll end on the first picture because that was sort of like the overview. They of call it, it geek porn, right? Yes. I would. I'd buy one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Of... It doesn't actually work as a remote control car, but it's uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool. I think it's you pretty... can push it along the ground, going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, if you go on, if you're on the audio, go and check that out. That's wild. Now, I think someone else uh, had a WD story. Who was that? While well, we were on a hard drive. Shane. Well, there's the two stories. There's the one where they were um, having problems with the Apple, which you guys covered on Tuesday. But we do that one again. next to nothing. Yeah, do that and one And then again. there's the, the helium one. Oh, okay. Well, I'll do the, the uh, hard drive one OSX because that's a nasty one. Uh, yeah, we did cover it. Shane is right. We did uh, talk about this on Tuesday night, uh, if you missed the Aussie Max Zone. But anyway, uh, this is pretty general and important news, so that's why I thought I'd bring it up again in here. Uh, the Apple's new OS X, uh, Mavericks, doesn't like Western Digital Drives. Now, what is happening is I'll find, and I'll find the graphic if I've got one for that. I don't know if I've got one or not. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep... Oh, here we go. That's my graphic right there. It looks a bit graphic. Yeah. So the Western Digital has warned Apple users that hey, this is so bad. This is really bad. This could turn a lot of people off, Western Digital drives, uh, for their backup machines or whatever you got going. But anyway, Western Digital has warned Apple users against upgrading their software to Mavericks after some external drives were wiped clean of data. The problem appears to be a conflict between Mavericks and Western Digital's own management software. As uh, one forum, one poster on the Western Digital forum that they had previously warned of the problem, uh, warned Western Digital of the problem as far back as seventh of October, when he was when they were, when he was uh, testing Mavericks. 
So that, you know, what's that? A month? A month ago today. So, uh, so the company, until the issue is understood and the cause identified, Western Digital strongly urges customers to uninstall software applications before updating to OSX Mavericks. Now, software applications meaning the WD Drive Manager, WD RAID Manager, WD Smartware software applications. So, and they've removed those from the downloads of the site as well. So there's a bit of problems, a bit of problems. Uh, they got it, conflicts. Conflicts. That's right. I don't, I don't like conflicts. I prefer rice bubbles myself. <laughs> yes, uh, I, conflicts are all right with bananas. Now, if you're already upgraded to Mavericks, Western Digital recommends that you remove the the affected applications and restart your computer to avoid any data loss. It's not very uh, um, reassuring, is it? Really, no. like uh, <laughs> if I had a Mac and I had somewhere in the mix. I had a Western Digital Drive and I was updated to Mavericks. I think I'd be just putting that Western Digital aside and going and buying another one. I just, you know, you you can't, you wouldn't risk it. You can't risk it. I hope you've got Time Machine backup turned on and somewhere backing up stuff that's not WT. Yeah, well, that's right. If it is even in your Time Machine, like you can still be stuffed. If it's, it's crazy. Like, yeah, look, whose fault is this, you know? Like, does it come down to, well, Western Digital's been plugging along for years and years and years and years, and no no dramas, but then is it Apple's fault? They're all of a sudden, you know, they've got conflicts, and it's because Apple's bought out Maverick. So, you know, who's... What do you think they should have? They would have tested on Macs, which have Western Digital drives in them, so... Well, you, th- you think Apple would have? You mean? Well, if the Macs usually have Western Digital in them, and... Apple has in, upgraded their own ones to Mavericks, then Something. they would have noticed. Mm. But well, it's not the internal hard drives that's the problem, is it? It's the um, external, you know, enclosed hard drive thingos that are the problem. I don't think it would be. They're matter. the ones that come, that bloatware stuff. It's not the internal ones that come with the bloatware, is it? No, you're, you're, you're probably right. But whatever drive, whatever Western Digital Drive, uh, yeah, if you've got these drives, it just doesn't go good for the whole situation. Like, <laughs> you couldn't convince me. If I, yeah, I, you couldn't convince me. I couldn't care what drive it was. I'd be putting the WDs aside. <laughs> I just, just, yeah. you know. I like... mean, with, with Apple having the problem with uh, batteries going flat in the 5S, the image retention on the Retina Max and this, and also the Compass, they've got a lot of problems happening at the moment. And uh, I hope people don't start losing faith in Apple products, which have mm. always been, you know, 100% perfect. Yeah, look, oh, apart from the Antonio okay. Yeah, well, but I, I believe in this instance that I look. I could pro, you could probably lame a bit of blame at Apple's feet, but I think Western Digital are going to pay for it heavily. I reckon that's uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, what's your uh, Western Digital story, Shane? Please. Uh, my one is I think someone else has got this too, so feel free to fill in the gaps where I miss things out. But. Digital storage is always getting cheaper and more capacious or spacious. I think that's a better word. Uh, but Western Digital has planned to fill in, uh, fill in, uh, has planned to fill it in with helium to make hard drives way more efficient than ever before. The story goes on to basically say that the current hard drives um, have just got air inside them, and the spindles or the drives can only spin so fast before. Um, drag kicks in and, and starts to slow them down because of the thickness of air. So the theory is is that um, you can put helium inside them. You can put more, um, what's the word? You can put more spinning drives inside the actual Flatters. hard drives. So therefore, you can um, hold more capacity. Which in, in a single probably hard drive doesn't really mean much, but the story goes on to sort of highlight that if you're using them in data centers, then um, the savings become or the, the difference becomes Quite, mm. quite a lot. Yeah, it goes on to say... There's a lot less friction with the air if it's helium. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and deploying, it goes on to say in, in larger scale, deploying 11 petabytes of storage using current drive technology requires 12 uh, racks, 2,980 hard drives and about 30, 33 kilowatts of power. And using this helium technology, that goes down and it weighs... Um, it, goes on to say how much it weighs but then if you run using the new technology that goes down to you could do it with eight racks and 1920 individual drives and run them at 14 kilowatts 
So the only problem with that is the world is running out of helium. It's not an infinite resource. We can't synthesize it out of anything, and it's found in natural gas. So once it's gone, it's gone, and uh, helium price is going up. Wow. Skyrocketing because the world is running out of helium. At some stage, we won't have any left. Yeah, right. I don't think you could run out of helium. I thought that'd be mm. everywhere. Oh, that's no good. Run out of everything. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. A, um, it's an inert gas or whatever they call it. Yeah, okay. Well, in sort of uh, in uh, some stats that probably matter to me, that is that means that uh, the HGST, now this is the company that is punching these little fellas out, and it is a subdivision of Western Digital. That's why the relation between the two Uh-oh. stories. Mm. Uh, now, the yeah, the reduced friction and temperature means disks can spin for longer or less power. Uh, so allowing HGST to pack in seven platters and increase storage from uh, increase storage to six terabytes from the usual four terabytes. So that's what matters. Nice. Eh? Storage, that's what matters. Uh, yes. So they they say since the drive shouldn't experience the same wear and tear, they should last longer and therefore cost less in the long run. Unless, as Warlock says, uh, the helium price increases. All Hopefully right. by then flash drives will be so cheap it won't matter. Hmm. Flash you know, me I was going to say, why are they worrying about older technology? But I suppose... It, my story went on to say that it's going to be um, released probably to the enterprise market first yeah. um, before you know, it comes to the you know, to us. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you might be able to put like, like 100 hard drives into a, uh, into a server rack and maybe it'll just float right around the office. Who knows? All right. Uh, sh- Make them easier to carry if they're made out of helium, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. You don't helium, helium balloons just float up, so that's, you that's might right. have to tie down your servers there, Glenn, <laughs> in the data sinks and make sure they don't go floating away. You'll see. You'll see at the end of life of all these helium drives, you just see people there just sucking, sucking the helium out. <laughs> That's right. Check You might as well get your fun with them, mind you. If they're no good anymore, you might as well, yeah, suck the life out of them. All right, uh, Jay. Make sure you breathe in oxygen and helium at the same time because it's toxic and you don't want to die. No, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't do that too much. That's a silly thing to do. All right, <laughs> Jace, What have you got? Microsoft Australia is concerned about Malcolm Turnbull's NBN. Their oh. managing director has voiced concerns over the future of the fibre to the node strategy currently being considered by Communication Minister Malcolm Turnbull, revealing that it's lobbying the government over the plan. Yes. Yeah. Speaking at a CETA event in Sydney, Microsoft's Australian MD Pip Milo said that the fibre to the home would be superior for upload speeds over the current fibre to the node system. She added that Microsoft Australia is currently lobbying the government to try and understand how people will be using the fibre to the node system in the long run. Mm, well, fibre to the node, well, that's right. When's it all going to happen anyway? Well, I don't care if I get node or home. I need something. I need fibre. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I need fibre to the something, and I need it now. I don't care what it's to the, I just need it. 4G is all you need, man. You know, they've been saying with the new iPad Air over in the States, just on the standard 4G network, they're getting download speeds of up to 90. But yeah, that's pretty good. But that's all right. Like, even 4G speeds, I'd be happy with. I'd be happy with 4G up and down speeds that I think I, in a full bar scenario uh, here on the Goldie, I could, oh, my, I haven't done one for a while, a speed test for a while, but before when I suppose it was fairly new like you know in the middle of surface and you could get 60 down and 50 up you know it was it was yeah, and you get one gig for that <laughs> yeah that's right it's gone in three seconds yeah so but like if, if you could get more yeah obviously more um uh, more bandwidth if you know if you want with data usage if you get bigger data usage than just one gig well for sure i'd be using that no 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 worries at all none at all all right um Look, we're talking about Microsoft. I do have a, a little micro. I've got a, probably a couple of little Microsoft stories. The Aussie sales of Windows Phone double as Android's sinks. They're selling two <laughs> of them now. That's the two two phones. Yeah, that's it's doubled. Yeah, that's the uh, that's what's happening. Yeah, so uh, Windows Phone. Look, I've always been for Windows Phone. I reckon they'd be all right if they can 
do what they, they say they do. Windows Phone share, the Windows Phone share of the Australian smartphone sales has doubled in the past year, while Android has slumped. I love the wording, you know, like, it hasn't really gone that bad, but well, Android hasn't gone that bad, but I mean, the wording, slumped, sinks, you know. Wow. <laughs> All right, Android's screwed. Time to move on something else. Microsoft got the answer there, the winner, of course. <laughs> According to the latest figures from Kantar World Panel, Windows increased its sales share from 4.6% in the three months to September 2012 to 9.3% in the most recent quarter. So that's a fair, well, that's a fair jump. But I mean, if you're coming from a low base anyway... Well, it wouldn't matter if it's compared to the other to the market. No, it wouldn't matter, would would it? Um, so that's a big jump. That's 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 pretty good. They'd be happy with that. Uh, Android sinking. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. But I think that the Windows phones will be more popular as time goes by. I think if they can make everything work together. Could you imagine coming home or wherever you are? You're integrating with your your desktop. You go past into the lounge room. You're integrating with your Xbox. You know, and you're just integrating all over the place. You're a walking integrator. Yeah, well, you're going to clean it up after that. Yes. <laughs> you always got to clean up your integrations. <laughs> if you're integrating all over the place. <laughs> That's right. you gotta, you got to watch out for that. Uh, Microsoft arrives at the top five CEO shortlist. Cool. Okay, so you, everyone knows Steve Barmer is leaving. Within 12 months, it's still a mystery to actually when. I wonder if he's going to do a video like uh, uh, Gatesy did, you know, last day in the office and all, pumping iron, all that sort of stuff. Well, he's done a goodbye video already. Has he? Oh, not the one yeah, where... He was, he was crying his eyes out. I was going to say... Very yeah, sad to be leaving. The one where he was crying. He played... Uh, he got him to play, I've had the time That's of right. my life. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ford's... This is the, the apparently the short list that Microsoft's not confirming, but uh, from a source that's... Uh, who knows? In the know? Not in the know? Who knows? But Microsoft arrives at top five CEO shortlist. Ford's current chief, Alan Mulally. Former He's Nokia. an Australian. Really? Mm, there you go. Yes. Former Nokia chief executive, Stephen Elop. His name's been bandied around quite a bit. Former Skype CEO, Tony Bates. Don't, no, don't do that because Skype still is not working. And Satya Nadella, the company's cloud and enterprise chief. Do they go in-house or out-house? Probably find out. <laughs> I think they went out-house yeah. when they put Barmer in charge. <laughs> Probably. But um, I don't know. What do you reckon, Shane, in-house or um, outsource? I reckon, yeah, I reckon the um, guy from Ford would be good, to be honest. Yeah, even though he may, I don't know him, so I'm just just t saying this at the off the top of my head. But even though he may not have a tech orientated background, you think it matters? At a, He's, a, um, I think he does because I mean he doesn't obviously have the programming background. I, I don't believe, um, but he, like I said earlier, he's an Australian. He's the one that introduced all the um, technology into the Ford vehicles, and and I believe Ford were one of the front runners that um, had it. Yeah, before holding into it's Microsoft and all the rest software of it. that's in there. It's Microsoft software oh, that's in there. That, okay. Exactly. Well, he, he could be a good fit then. Oh, yeah. well, my my opinion's changed. That's uh. Well, <laughs> then he's still going to be on internal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Skype dude. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Elop or something. Yeah, I think Elop. He he's been getting the press, hasn't he? So um, yeah, maybe him. But we'll, time will tell when Barmer finally uh, gets the hint. Uh, Shane, what else have you got for us? You got anything else? Uh, I do. I've got heaps, heaps this week. Um, the next story I'll do is another interview was done with the great man Steve Wozniak with the BBC this time. Uh, it goes on to say, if there's one man who talks tech sense, it's Woz. And Was. never more so than the recent interview with the BBC. Was would love it if Apple and Google played friendly and um, makes very good point. Goes on to say that um, he uses Siri as, a, as an example where he asked Siri, um, go to Joe's uh, diner, and Siri didn't know where it was. And then he asked the same thing of his Android device, and you know, everything was sweet. Mm. So he basically made the point that why... Um, 
with technologies like that, why don't you share the technology? Why don't we, we team up, get, whether it be Siri or whether it be the Android one, just get them, whatever one works best, just well, put it on Google both phones. Now on, on the iPhone as well, so you could probably use that. It does take uh, commands like, okay, Google, and then you can ask where to go and it'll take them to the same place. Yeah, I don't it's know not it integrated into like Siri is, but you can just start the app and where you go. But that Google Now, like I tried that like a while ago when you told me about it. It doesn't do anything like what it does on the Android. I think it's brilliant. But on the iPhone, oh, on the iPhone, it doesn't know because it can't get integrated into the operating system. That's the problem. Yeah, all it does Siri is Siri tech- is integrated in, but Google, Apple won't let Google integrate it, which is what I think um, was mm. it saying. Let them get some hooks into the operating system and then they can read your emails like they do with the Android one. They can read your calendar and they can present good cards and then have it integrated the operating system so that uh, it's running all the time instead of you start the app and then you have a look at it and you wait for it to calculate everything and then mm. it comes up with something that might be useful for you and by then you're like, screw that, I can't be bothered, I could look that up myself. But the problem with um, with, with merging or well, with sharing the technologies is well, how much, what do you share? How much do you share? Because as a company, Apple as a company yeah. and Google as a company, you've got to have a differentiation. Otherwise, well, people, you know, like if, if you've got the same product, well, there's, why would people go either way? It's the same, if it's the same thing, you know? So I think the question of like, what do you share? How do you, what? When and why? And <laughs> what do you share? Like, I don't, I don't know. think anybody likes Siri enough to want to keep it as a major point. <laughs> yeah, look, I think was... They could replace it with Google now and that would be okay and keep everything else separate. Yeah, look, I think was he's just a he's just a tech head at heart, isn't he? He just, you know, he just wants yeah. the best that there is. And it, no doubt that if the two technologies merged and, and or, you know, you got the best that you could out of both, uh, then... Yeah. Then heaven would open up and the choir of angels would descend upon us singing carols. And I think that's what Woz is looking at now, yeah. <laughs> he's looking for those... Either that or he's doing one of those... Things like that with the, with the record player. <laughs> he's rapping, man. He's rapping. <laughs> All right. Uh, but... Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's the that's probably a good and a bad thing with Was. I mean, he's not a person. Not that I know the guy, but he doesn't seem to be a person that's driven by the money. He's he wasn't the business kind of guy with the partnership. He was the he was the engineer. He was the that's the, right. Yeah, the the geek behind the yeah, partnership. The lover. He the, did it yeah. for the love of it. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the lover of the technology and like and that's what like all of us, you know, like wouldn't it, it would be good if this was to happen, but it's not going to happen. But it would be good. Yeah, just buy an Android phone and forget about that. Would be another good thing to happen. They're on the slide. I could actually do an in- <laughs> <laughs> if I could actually do an interview with Woz, that would be good. That would be interesting. That'd be yeah. good. Why don't oh you just putting it out there, Woz? You're as good as the BBC. Send him a send him a an edit. <laughs> do they have edits anymore? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> eat it, eat it, open up your mouth and feed it. Get out. <laughs> No wonder of that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, look, I don't think I've got too many more. What's the time? Oh, geez, we're getting up there. Um, I don't think I've got too many more. I've done all that. I've done the thing. I've done that. I've done that. I've done everything. I think. Oh, I've got one more. I've got the Katy Perry story. Have you got any more, Jace? I think you you're um you've been gutted as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I've got about time for me to shut up. More. Yeah. Well, Shane Shane's got the Shane's the winner this week with the most stories. Good on you, Shane. <laughs> Go again. <laughs> Have another one. You want me to go again? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, all right. What I'm going to do is I'll do uh, a feature internet long. might not use servers. <laughs> the one that's at the bottom of my list, the one that's got the picture of the um, Cat Five connector thing. Oh, okay. I've got that. I've got that image coming right up. <laughs> <laughs> coming right up. Does that? <laughs> all right. So a project name Pursuit aims to make the internet. Faster, safer, and more social by implementing a completely new architecture. The system does away with the need for computers to connect directly to servers. Instead, having individual computers being able to copy and republish content or on receipt. That would allow other computers to access data or at least fragments of data for many locations at once. That sounds like peer-to-peer sharing. That's because it is. It's BitTorrent um, for the internet. Yeah. Yay. Basically, they yeah they go on to say that it's um it, 
they'll do away with URLs. Um, they'll replace them with a thing called a uniform resource identifier, which I believe is how probably um, peer-to-peer um, software works at the moment. And um, they reckon it's going to be more reliable because obviously there's no, there's going to be no bottleneck, so it'll be faster, more efficient, um, better all around. Mm. Oh, that's good. Good. That's what we need. We need more of that sort of stuff. Now, look, I've just come. I've just remembered something I should have done earlier on in the show, but hopefully it'll still be around next week, and I, I, I will do it earlier on uh, in the show. But uh, look, I had an email from the guys over in New Zealand from Geeksphere.tv. Uh, that's spelt how it sounds. If you can spell sphere. What is it that geeks fear anyway? Chicks. Um, some of them, yeah. Some of them are big bug-eyed monsters, but uh, but most of the time it's uh, just uh, normal day-to-day. Weeping things. angels, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so <laughs> they've got a competition. Uh, so geeksphere.tv, they've got a competition which they've opened up to Australian Australians and listeners of the Aussie Techhead podcast. And viewers of the podcast. And now of to win a Nokia Lumia 520. So all you've got to do, just go to the geeksphere.tv, uh, have a look at their webpage, and you'll find out how to do it. And all you've got to do is follow those prompts. But pretty much all you do is just leave a review up on their iTunes uh, podcast store account there and just send them an email and take a screenshot and all that sort of stuff. So on November 26th, there we go, they will randomly select a winner. So November 26th, so yes, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for next week. And I mentioned it a bit earlier, just in case people dot off through the, <laughs> through the show. <laughs> I know none of you guys do, but, you know, there might be some... We're terribly like, interesting. There might be some nanas out there that, you know, tech head nanas or something, you know, they you know, might miss the end. All right. Um, yeah, Shane, you had another one. Uh, I do. Uh, right, so I've done that one. The next one I'll do is... U.S. authorities approve use of electronics on flights. And so he goes on to say, after years, will they or won't they, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has finally given permission for airlines in the U.S. to allow passengers to use personal electronics for the entirety of their flight. So currently um, you have to have them turned off in landing and taking off. And in between you have to have them in flight mode. Um, according to this, you will now be able to have them on throughout the whole flight, but you have to have them in flight mode throughout the whole flight because um, it's still going to be illegal to have um, any sort of transmitter. Right, right. Um, it goes on to say that even though they've sort of said, yes, it's okay, each airline has to um, get approval from the FAA, I think it is. Yes. Uh, yeah, FAA. FCC. And FAA. Um, so it's going to be an airline by airline kind of um thing but you know once the floodgates open it shouldn't be too hard for all the airlines to get approval mm. yes the device is under two pounds oh okay yeah so the airline crew might tell passengers to shut off these devices during landing uh yeah heavier items will have to be safely stowed during takeoff and landing uh it is still recommended that you keep your phone in airplane mode according to ffa fa blah, blah, spokesman because uh what's it what's that one uh yeah, but you know, but how how many times have you landed in a plane and all the phones start going off, or in flight? There's a, or whatever. There's, as you're coming down, there's a phone ringing in the baggage compartment. You know. Uh, last one. Or Shane. you, or you have a 15 year old that reckons that the the rules don't apply to them, and or the rules, you know, weren't the rules, and I actually had to show him where it was written. Mm. You had to have <laughs> oh. prove it to me. I don't believe you. Isn't isn't you're just trying to keep me down. <laughs> Isn't rule number one that dad is always right and every other rule is see rule number one? Like, <laughs> like shut up. I'm right. Shut up. All right. Uh, last one, Shane. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, all right. So that was the aeroplane one. There's that one. There's the was one. The only one I've got left is the Australian Electoral Commission says e-voting is coming, but it's hard. <laughs> Uh, speaking to the ABC radio this morning, Electoral Commissioner Ed something, Killerstein? Killerstein? Um, Killerstein, we hate them round here. <laughs> said that it's uh, we like that it is likely that Australians will experience some sort of e-voting platform in the future, but the road to digital democracy is a tough one. Um, there's a trend or a certain or there is a trend or certainly a good debate that is needed about electronic voting and it thinks it's inevitable, but there's some ways, some e-voting in the future. 
Kilstein said that adding that adding that throwing some internet at the problem isn't an instant fix. Um, he goes on to say that basically what they'd have to do is um, send out 120,000 e-voting machines deployed across the country um, and they'd have 33 days to do it because of um, the election date is never known or it's like a, usually a short window. Um, the notion of there's simple solution through e-voting needs to be considered um, he added. So you're basically saying it's it's happening, it's down the track, hmm. but it's all a bit hard at the moment. Just you can't right. do it on your computer from home. You're still going to have to go down and stand in line and get your sausage and then press a button on a machine hmm. instead of a bit of paper. Yes, what's the difference? But, you know, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember, you know, during the last election. Save the trees. <laughs> during the last election, Clive Palmer carrying on going, oh, it's uh, Electoral Commission rigged, 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 all this sort of stuff. And it turns out he might have been right. <laughs> All those votes that went missing over in his electorate or somewhere. Western uh, Australia. Yeah, that's right. 1,400 yeah. votes went missing and, and now he's taken them to court. And he, he was right. And he, he got on Q&A and he was carrying on about, you know, how we're still using pencils and what's going on and all this sort of stuff. But uh, good old Clive. I watched his DVD the other day, The Titanic 2. That was all right. <laughs> He's actually, it's, it's, it, he uh, was his title on the DVD. I don't know if anyone else watched it. I think maybe only people in Queensland might have got the DVD. I'm not sure where it went. But it, it, his title was Professor. I'm pretty sure it was Pro- Professor Palmer. I don't know if he, why is he a professor? I don't know. Maybe he professors all professor over the place. Professor of what? That's right. Yeah, building dinosaurs at, at uh, resorts. That's what he does. Yep. Um, all right. Oh. Are they are they further up the food chain than doctors, or are they does it go professor and then doctor? Oh, I don't know. I think doctor and then professor. Right. Yeah, yeah, professor could be a bit higher up. Now, oh, <laughs> Katy Perry overtakes. How good is her song? Oh, hey? I like not Katie. Lady Gaga. No, Katy Perry this time. She's overtaken Justin Bieber <laughs> on for Twitter followers. Have a guess how many she's got. She has Five. got. Look, we, we, I'll tell you, Aussie tech heads, we're giving her a run for her money. But she's, uh, she's pipping us at the moment. She's got 46,534,966 followers. Yeah. We'll uh, be there soon. We are. We're, we're just, just a tad behind. Uh, Shay Bennett from the All Twitter News blog said Perry was now likely to be the first to get to 50 million, eh? I knew you would love that story. <laughs> I she's um, excitement in the room. <laughs> have you have you seen photos of her without makeup? It's like a completely different person. Yes, yeah, I have seen a few uh, unfortunate yeah. photos. Yeah, but, but a... she's um she's in the put with the customs department or potentially in the put with them. Yeah, why? Well, because she... apparently her um her CD it was actually mentioned on Sunrise. They sort of said, you know, why when I opened the CD I noticed that these seeds fell out, and she said, yeah, it was you know a bit of a gimmick. I wanted to kind of add seeds in there, so. And it's biodegradable paper and all that kind of crap. And the customs department have jumped up and down saying, well, you can't bring that sort of stuff into the country. <laughs> oh, so, yes, well, yes, she should have declared it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's in trouble. Oh, well, that's what <laughs> happens. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you see that on Sunrise, Jace? No, no, mine was the, the same story, but I'd got it from a website. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's... Uh... What's TV? <laughs> it's that box that sits in the corner. A change shape. Oh, it's a thing that people who don't have BitTorrent watch. <laughs> it used to be square, but now it's oblong. You don't hear you don't hear it called oblong anymore, do you? What happened to oblong? I like I like oblong. All right, that's about it's it. It's a us. rectangle. An oblong is a shape that's an irregular shape, isn't it? Whereas a rectangle has got regularity to it. But I thought a rectangle wasn't oblong. Let's Google. Yeah, oblong. It, Can we Google oblong? And I'm a bit irregular. I just have some more fibre. I'm going to Google oblong. I've got to see what an oblong is. An oblong. Does everybody notice that the um, sun's setting behind me? Yeah, that's nice. So these are live photos, Shane, from the webcam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they refresh every couple of minutes or something. Oh, yeah, sweet. Cottesloe Beach, if anyone's interested. No point in me showing your live webcam of here. It'd be just dark. Um, (laughs) Oblong, a rectangle with length greater than its width. Not a square. The word is sometimes used of any shape longer than it is wide. There's an Angus oblong. 
Oh, that's an American author and actor. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a name of an author. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a type of steak. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go. McDonald's will be jumping on that one soon. <laughs> an oblong hamburger. Imagine that one, eh? <laughs> but no, he's an American. But if you Why wanted not? to know, Angus Oblong is an American author and actor. Oh, what did he star in, I wonder? <laughs> Let's have a look. Let's have a Oh, do you want to see a picture of... <laughs> Let's have a look. Uh-oh. Let's have a look at a picture of Angus Oblong. Here we go. There he is. <laughs> What's going oh, on? It's good old Angus Oblong. Uh, and all those people that have got um, a fear of clowns. Sorry about that. North Kilt Town. Yeah, so there he is. He's only 37. Oblong's book, Creepy Susie and 13 Other Tragic Tales for Troubled Children. <laughs> <laughs> they would be after they see that. Oh, I reckon. What else has he got going on? Nothing. All right. Well, that's the end of the show. All right, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jase. Down the rat hole. That's it. Thanks, Jase. <laughs> thanks for coming in. Thanks, uh, Shane. No thanks, worries. Shane. Thanks for thanks for moseying in and giving up your nice, beautiful afternoon. And uh, yeah, cool. All right, so you join us next time or, uh, or whenever we're on Thursday night, seven thirty Queensland time. LZTechheads.com.au forward slash live. You can catch us on the Twitter at uh, the show is at Aussie Techheads. I'm at Glenn Goodman with two ends. Jason is at Warlock, and uh, Shane is at Shane nineteen seventy three. With and a, send me that email for those photos, Stuart. Yeah, so shame with a Y. And or you can just email us. Email us all at uh, whoever we are, at Glenn, uh, whoever we are, at aussietechheads.com.au. <laughs> you know what I mean, God. All right, so until next episode, one a day for a year. See you next time. Ta-da. Bye. Bye. Hopefully. Join us in next week in the lounge. All right. Cool. There goes them. There's the show notes. That's them. That's cool. Okay. Okay. Cool. Oh, better stop the recording. I don't want any more blue screens of death before I save them. Western digital hard drive space. Oh, I don't mind WDs. I do prefer Seagates.